Have you heard Robert Downey Jr.'s comeback story? If not, you're in for a real treat because it's a good one. So we're sharing that today and some of our other favorite examples and thoughts on how to overcome your rock bottom places in life and that it's never too late to go where you need to go and become who you need to be. Hi, everybody. Hi, Neil. Hi. (laughs) We've tried starting this like six times because I'm how do you want me Karen's to start got the this? giggles. I do have the giggles today. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm here. I'm here for this. I am excited to talk about a comeback story and the fact that it's never too late. And this has been on my mind since we went on our little trip to Cabo a few weeks ago. And we were trying to find something to watch. And we didn't have, it was kind of weird in Mexico. We didn't have access to some of the shows that you have access to in the United States, but we did have access to Disney plus. And so I asked Neil, have you ever seen the Iron Man movies? And he was like, Oh, like maybe once a really long time ago. Right. Yeah. But it was forever never ago all the way through or something like that. And I was like, Oh, these are great movies. We should watch these. Cause you and I would both enjoy them. So we watched the first Iron Man movie. And while we were watching it, I was kind of telling Neil, yeah, do you know this guy's comeback story? And I knew Neil would love it because he's also a recovering addict. And Robert Downey Jr. has maybe one of the most incredible comeback stories of all time that I know of, that that publicly that people know of, at least for a public figure, a celebrity or whatever. So I thought we could start out with that today because it's pretty remarkable. And the next time you watch an Iron Man movie or an Avenger movie or anything that he's in, Marvel or otherwise, you will look at him a different way because of what he's been through and where he's been and how he's overcome these challenges in his life. So Robert Downey Jr. is junior because his dad, Robert Downey Sr., was also an actor and his mom was an actor. And in one of the articles that I was reading to prepare for this, this New York Times reporter said it was like he was raised by wolves. (laughs) Like he was just kind of, it was pretty rough and wild. And in one of the articles, it said that he tried marijuana at the age of six. That his dad let him try marijuana when he was six years old. And that he had this bond with his father doing drugs together. So that was kind of their thing. And so he really, he grew up around drugs and alcohol. And when he was, like in his in the early 80s he started his acting career pretty young and he started starring in these roles and he started on Saturday Night Live and then he was in some movies I've never seen these maybe you have Weird Science The Pickup Artist Less Than Zero and Less Than Zero was kind of interesting because he plays this child who is a heroin addict and he like comes from a lot of money and he becomes this heroin addict and kind of you know can't get his life together and they said it in one of the articles, like it was kind of eerie that he played this role because it was so similar to his own life. So then after that, it seems like things are going up for him. Like in 92, he was nominated for an Academy Award for this movie Chaplin that he was in. But then in 1996, he was arrested for possession of heroin, cocaine, and a .357 Magnum. 357 Magnum. It's a gun. Oh, yes. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. So 
And then three weeks later, he was arrested again for being under the influence. He like wandered into his neighbor's house and passed out in a child's bedroom. And so they called the cops and arrested him again. And then in 2001, so like late 90s, early 2000s, he's like in and out of jail. It's like a revolving door. He goes to jail. He gets arrested. He comes back out. He gets arrested again. It's like drugs and alcohol under the influence, arrested and, you know, goes to rehab. He's in and out of these facilities over and over and over again. So in 2001, he's arrested again. He's under the influence in Culver City. And at the time, he had a role in Ally McBeal, which was a really big show in the early 2000s. And they dropped him because he just, you know, couldn't show up for work and kept getting arrested. So at the time, he said that was his rock bottom. But then the New York Times says he was arrested two more times after that, which is crazy. I mean, it just almost sounds like, you know, he went to McDonald's. Like, this is how many times he just kept getting arrested. It's mind-blowing. And yeah, one of the, the biggest roles of his entire career, he was dropped from because of his drug and alcohol addiction. So then in 2003, his wife gave him an ultimatum and just said, figure it out or I'm gone. And so that's when he really got into recovery and he totally credits the 12 steps, yoga, meditation, and therapy for keeping him Mm -hmm. sober. And so after 2003, his life kind of starts to go back uphill And he had a major role that he was cast for, but he couldn't get insured by anybody. Like nobody would pay the insurance for him because he just was too much of a loose cannon. So finally, Mel Gibson personally underwrote Robert Downey Jr.'s liability insurance so that he could finally like get back on his feet and start acting again in 2003. And if I if I understand the timeline correctly, he hadn't really acted well. So, yeah, he had had that role in 2001. Ally McBeal that he was fired from but it was really rocky between like late 90s and early 2000s and that's when he got Mel Mel Gibson underwrote his insurance and then in 2008 so he's 43 years old he lands Iron Man and Tropic Thunder which I haven't seen Tropic Thunder but apparently he got an Oscar nomination for that in 2008. And then in 2012, he did the Avengers. And since then, he's done Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, Sherlock Holmes. And if I am doing the math right, he's been sober for about 18 years. And he now has a net worth of $300 million. And his films are grossing $14.4 billion worldwide. So he went from just being a complete mess. Nobody would insure the guy because he just couldn't even be trusted to show up for work. He just kept going in and out of jail, getting arrested, you know, couldn't stay sober. And then he finally decided to turn his life around and not at an early age, not at like some young chipper age. I mean, when he finally really landed these big roles and had proven himself, gotten some stability, you know, had a good amount of time under his belt. He was 43. So, you know, it took him a while to come back around. And now he's, you know, one of the biggest comeback stories that I know of, of all time. Yeah. Well, I think that's, I I don't know. I talked to some of my friends who are drug addicts, recovering drug addicts in the meetings, and they bring up, I mean, one in particular has brought up a good point, which is a lot of times you don't get, the, like, like you go out 
it kind of might, it might be your last time going out. You only get so many of those before a lot of people overdose, they OD or they die or something, you know, something happens. And we've seen that. And I've seen that. And I'm sure a lot of people have seen that firsthand, but nonetheless, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I think the reality is everyone loves the, like, kind of the immediate comeback story where it's like, Hey, he struggled, but then found a solution, turned a corner and boom, never looked back. And a lot of the movies are, are kind of like that, or, you know, Hollywood themes can be like that. But I think, um, in reality, I think that a lot of times the, the process is a lot more gradual than that. Um, and, or it just takes a lot of falling on your face over time. and over and over again before yeah. it's fine, before it finally kind of catches on. And it's like, oh, I'm tired of doing what I'm doing isn't working. And yeah. I need to finally turn my life around. And this doesn't, this isn't just addiction specific. It's really for anyone feeling like they can't ever overcome any particular problem or challenge or go in the direction that you want to go at a certain point in your life. Yeah. And I, and I think it, it kind of, sometimes it does take, time for that to happen to where the pain of the problem is greater than the pain of the solution. I talk about that all the time in recovery, that that's when people are finally willing to, to make a change and to do something different. But I mean, the, the self will component of that can just be crazy. Like you can go on for years and years. Um, or if someone's up like a high bottom drunk or a high bottom addict, like, you know, you're, can be functional for a, for a period of time or a long period of time. Um, but that eventually, it eventually catches up, but, um, yeah, I mean, that can kind of taper on or, or hang on for a long time before somebody really makes a change. The other thing I love about that is what I said just a minute ago too, about age. Like I think some people, myself included can feel like, Oh, if we, if you didn't make it big or if you didn't start something huge, or if you didn't, do what your life purpose is by the time you're 20 or 25 or something, you just missed out. Like yeah. you are kind of done and you just have to keep spinning your wheels wherever you are. And there are so many awesome examples of people who totally proved otherwise. So like Bob Ross spent 20 years in the Air Force. Bob before Ross reti- is amazing. Before retiring. And he taught himself to paint, and then he started teaching people to paint at the age of 41. Wow. I know. I did cool, not huh? know that. I thought he was a lifetime painter, painter guy. Samuel Jackson, he's 70 years old now, or 70-something. He has starred in more than 100 movies. He took interest in drama in his early 20s, but he didn't become famous until he was 46. Wow. Pulp Fiction. First big, big role. Jeez. So it happens a lot. That's, that's yeah, this is really interesting. A, yep. a lot of these, I mean, it's kind of cool to hear. Morgan Freeman, 50 years old when he got his first big break. So you're telling me I could be an actor. Yes. Like I still have a There's chance. There's still a chance. I'm, I've got Steve Carell, 43 when he got his starring role in The Office, which was definitely the takeoff point in his career. I think this is really interesting. There's one that reminds me as we're talking here, just when it comes to that gradual change or things taking time, 
one of my favorite talks is, is a, it's D Todd Christofferson, um, give us this day, our daily bread. It was actually, it's a youth devotional that he gave back in 2011, but he, it's just kind of this concept of a one day at a time concept or principle, which I obviously resonated with being in recovery. But, um, one of the things he mentions is super interesting about these things that a lot of times in the scriptures or in different places you hear of these really, and, and you know, absolutely these have happened and can happen where people have a powerful experience and then they turn a corner and never look back. Um, but I, I love, I love what he says here. He says, we must be cautious as we discuss these remarkable examples, though they are real and powerful. They are the exception more than the rule for every Paul, for every Enos, for every King Lamoni, there are hundreds and thousands of people who find the process of repentance, much more subtle, much more imperceptible day by day. They move closer to the Lord, little realizing they're building a godlike life. They live quiet lives of goodness, service, and commitment. We must not lose hope. Hope is an anchor to the souls of men. Satan would have us cast away that anchor. In this way, he can bring discouragement and surrender, but we must lose, not lose hope. The Lord is pleased with every effort, even the tiny daily ones in which we strive to be more like him. Uh, Obviously that's more uh, along the lines of a spiritual example, not so much the the secular world. So for anyone who hasn't read the Book of Mormon, can you kind of explain what a couple of those examples? Yeah. Yeah. So in the Book of Mormon, there are um, some of these major figures, um, some of them kings, like King Lamoni was was a king over a people called the Lamanites, who he heard the gospel and heard about Jesus Christ and it really was inspired, wanted to make a change, had a really powerful spiritual experience, and then became converted to Christianity and and gained a testimony of it. And all like a bunch of his people got converted. Um, and then Enos was another um, prophet in the Book of Mormon. He had an experience while he was hunting in the wilderness that kind of led him to change his ways or want to do different differently. And he has this kind of battle or the struggle with, with God, the spiritual um, experience in which he repents and changes and makes a commitment to, to live a different life. And then, you know, goes on to be a, a really powerful force for good. And so um, a, the biblical example of, of Paul on the road to Damascus and having that experience to where he, you know, sees an angel and makes, a change in his life become goes on to be, um, a, a major force in for good. Um, so there are these examples and these situations and, and real life examples that I've heard of other people as well. But I, I do love what he says though. Um, that I don't know for myself, I guess, because I resonate more with that, that it was more of a gradual change. Yeah. Um, kind of turning around a large, ocean liner, so to speak, rather than like doing an about face, you know, as I'm walking down the sidewalk. Right. And I think that I've met a lot of spouses of addicts who get discouraged really easily when they feel like at first there's a little bit of a a honeymoon phase with some people who start going to 12 step meetings where they're like, oh, there's other people here who get me. I love this program. This is going to change my life. And then something hard happens and maybe they go out and they have, you know, a a relapse or two or three or 10 or 12. And at that point, the spouse is feeling like, what are we even doing here? Obviously, this isn't working. I definitely have been there. And it's just what you're saying. 
you know, for most people, it takes more than just one try. There's a few. We have a couple friends who the first time they walked into a meeting, they got it and had been through enough other experiences leading up to that, that once they finally found the steps, that was it for them. Or maybe they were at a point where they had actually hit their rock bottom and that's why they walked into a meeting. That's my grandpa who we named Harry after. When he finally went to a 12-step meeting, it was because he was court-ordered to go to AA. And that's when he changed his life and stopped drinking and became this completely different person. But it was after years and years and years of alcohol abuse and, you know, just having lots of turmoil in his life before that rock bottom forced him to go to AA and then he changed his life. So still, still a big lead up before the final, okay, I'm really, this time I'm really going to do it and change my life. Yeah. And a lot of times it takes several of those. I mean, I don't know. That's just speaking from my own experience. There's nothing more frustrating than feeling like I've got the solution. I understand where this is coming from. I get it. Everything's on the line. Everything's at stake. And then you make the same mistake and walk right into it. But I think that it's, um, there is a component of, of every time that happens, it's learning one more thing that didn't work. I love, um, Napoleon Hill, just kind of an old school author that like, I really like one of my favorite books is Think and Grow Rich. I, um, I think I, I just love some of the things that he talks about, but he talks about, um, Napoleon Hill talks about this conversation that he has with Thomas Edison. He, and he, he basically, Edison says to him, you know, I had to succeed because I finally ran out of things that wouldn't work. Um, and I think that a lot of times that's kind of through these failures and in the moment, it's hard to see it like that. But one thing that I did is, is, you know, each time I relapsed or had a slip or whatever, I just looked at it. I'm like, okay, what happened there? And what do I need to do differently? And then after a while, you kind of run out of those things that don't work and, and finally are gravitating and into a rhythm where you're, you're doing things that, that do work. Um, but I, I don't know. That's why I love the one day at a time approach because looking at it beyond that can be overwhelming where it's like, okay, this is just too much. And I think a really important part of the 12 steps is this step number two, have hope. And you wouldn't keep coming back to meetings or trying to do the steps or whatever if one or two or 12 failures took you out. And, you know, in order to finally get success, you have to do that second step and have hope. And, you know, that's the point of what we're trying to talk about today is it's never too late. There are amazing comeback stories out there. And most people who have found success in anything, whether that's overcoming a challenge or reaching a very specific goal. Most people go through a lot of failure, a lot of trial and error before they finally really take off and go in the direction that they're trying to go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, another story that I love from this book, The Think and Grow Rich, um, he talks about um, a story about some a, a gold mine. So um, he says, an uncle of R.U. Darby was caught by the gold fever in the gold rush days and went west to dig and grow rich. He had never heard that more gold has been mined from the thoughts of men than has ever been taken from the earth. He staked a claim and went to work with his pick and shovel. 
The first car of war was mined and shipped to this to a smelter. The returns proved that they had one of the richest mines in Colorado. A few more cars of that ore would clear the debts. Then then would come the big killing in profits. Down went the drills. Up went the hopes of Darby and Uncle. Then something happened. The vein of gold ore disappeared. They had come to the end of the rainbow, and the pot of gold was no longer there. They drilled on, desperately trying to pick up the vein again, all to no avail. Finally, they decided to quit. They sold the machinery to a junk man for a few hundred dollars and took the train back home. The junk man called in a mining engineer to look at the mine and do a little calculating. The engineer advised that the project had failed because the owners were not familiar with fault lines. His calculation showed that the vein would be found just three feet from where the Darby's had stopped drilling. That is exactly where it was found. <sighs> and then the junk man took, he says, the, the junk man took millions of dollars in ore from the mine because he knew enough to seek expert counsel before giving up. But I think the point of the story, though, is, um, you know, obviously the tendency can be to to give up on something that that is right. I mean, maybe in that situation... You know, I don't, I don't know what was running through the, through the mines or if, what other reasons went behind that. And, but I think that when something is right, when it comes to your own personal health, salvation, spiritual well-being, um, the right thing, yeah, it is, is to persist and continue on. And oftentimes it's, it's, you know, there is that component of it's darkest before the dawn mm-hmm. and it, it just takes one step forward to, to, you know, get yourself into that place where you can start seeing some progress or, or start growing your hope and, and be able to keep walking forward. Yeah. I was studying some of Harold Kushner's writings last night to try to find my material meaningful Monday, like a perfect quotation that would go with the thoughts and feelings I was having last night. And I found one where he said, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it right in front of me, but he said something to the effect of when you're faced with a moral dilemma, do whatever is more morally challenging. Like basically pick the pick the thing that's going to challenge you more and that's most likely going to put you on the right path. And I thought that was cool. I also really liked that he, because I think it's easy to get discouraged when you feel like there's too much in front of you or, or God hasn't smiled down upon you the way he has other people or you are a series of mis- misfortune and, you know, it's like it's too much of an uphill battle. Why even try? Or why did all of this happen to me? Or why doesn't God love me? Why hasn't he blessed me this way or whatever? And I also thought it was interesting that Harold Kushner said, that life becomes a lot easier and hard things become a lot easier to accept when we don't hold God morally responsible for every bad thing that happens in the world. I thought that was a really interesting point too, but I just think it's so easy to focus on those things or to feel like, oh my gosh, that's easier for other people. It's not, I don't know. I just feel like everyone is going through something really hard and it's an uphill battle for everybody. There's actually not a person on this earth who just has an easy life. One of the things that that can take me out, in, and I see this one's super sneaky, is 
the frustration of like, I'm doing what's right. I'm yeah. doing everything I should be doing. Why is X, Y, Z not happening? This is a good desire. This is something that that is right. And I feel inspired. Why is this not happening? Why isn't this happening faster? And I think that having an understanding, I mean, for me, what what is helpful or what is the answer is understanding who God is and understanding the eternal nature of who we are and understanding that God knows all. He knows more than I know. And there's a reason that that his timing is going to be perfect. My timing is extremely flawed. Um, and so it's it's learning to and striving to be able to trust his timing, which requires a, a large degree of patience and faith and taking spiritual action to strengthen that faith to be able to sustain that. So um, I'm kind of curious. I'm going to ask, throw, I'm going to reverse Throw a question at you. I mean, it's not a big one, like a big crazy one or anything, but it is a big question. Like, I'm always interested to see what, so obviously, yes, there are challenges, they're hard, and and there's tons of different things that can, uh, lines of thought that can take us down a path that would, would lead us to quit. What things do you do that keep you motivated or kind of fuel the tank? to keep taking the right actions. Yeah, I want to answer that, but I want to just say one thing that came to mind as you were talking just barely. We have a friend who says that trying to read the Book of Mormon when you're in the middle of a serious addiction is like trying to get a flu shot when you already have the flu. And I know that like vaccines are very controversial right now, but the analogy works, right? That if you're already you know, up to your eyeballs and something really, really hard, then you might need more help than just pick up some scriptures and read them. And and then it's just going to magically all melt away. That's why there is a 12 step program, you know, and one in our church or, or not, you can totally go to other 12 step meetings, but that's why there's a, a rigorous program to help you walk your way out of something like that. But anyway, back to your original question, what do I do? As a normie. Well, I'm just as a as a person. Person in general, as a child of God, you know, like yeah. what what do you what helps you to keep mean because you're a very driven, motivated, like successful person. But I well, also like what know what motivates me or what um, keeps me what in keeps line? you what keeps you going when it's hard spiritually. Oh, what keeps me going? Like because you, I know you've well, you've talked about well, it's been open on the podcast, like postpartum or different struggles or setbacks or, you know, gone through addiction, you know, my struggling with my addiction, like what, what spiritual actions or what things have you done or did you do that kind of fueled the tank and then enabled you to continue to take those actions? Well, I think it's what you've talked about a lot, doing just daily things and having those set into your routine. Once I figured out just how powerful the Book of Mormon was if I would read it in the morning and read it every day. It was like just a superpower. And so that is really helpful. And I used to, there used to be such a disconnect when I would hear like my seminary teacher, for example, in high school say, like, oh, if you read the Book of Mormon, then, you know, God will help you so much. And I would think, like, I'm not going to get answers about my teenage woes in. <laughs> 
the Book of Mormon. It's not going to tell me what to do about how my boyfriend dumped me or how these girls are excluding me from something or whatever, you know, you deal with as a teenager. And then life doesn't get necessarily easier or without problems or struggle as you go. I do think that teenagers have it worse than anyone else. But as you go on in life, you know, you still meet challenges and struggles in every aspect of life. And when, for me, when I read the scriptures and specifically when I read the Book of Mormon, the Spirit comes into my life and then it allows me to, sometimes there will be things that will pop out to me while I'm reading the scriptures that specifically spell out what to do next or how to have the right mindset or, you know, but oftentimes too, I feel like I invite the Spirit into my life by praying and reading the scriptures first thing. And then as my day goes on, God's able to nudge me, like, do this first. Okay, now I need you to do that. Okay, like, wrap this up and move on to the next thing. Or call this person. Or go spend time with one of your kids. Or talk to your husband. Like, he helps guide me in a way that I would not be guided without the Spirit. And so I feel like that is probably the biggest thing as far as just a day-to-day. But then also, like, pushing forward with through really hard times for me, I think I'm a, I'm different than you in the fact that you're like, I'm a one day at a time person. I'm when you said that one time you were like, Corinne lives in the future. It kind of caught me off guard, but then I was like, I guess you know me better than myself. I am. I feel like I can do anything as long as I know what the end is in mind. So, and maybe we've talked about this before. I know we have personally, I can't remember if we've talked about it on the podcast, but I know that I can sit down at a piano and if if I know, okay, I'm starting at, you know, whatever time, 10 a.m., but I get to finish at 5 p.m., I could literally sit at a piano for five hours or eight hours or however many hours you needed me to, as long as I knew I could pace myself and be like, okay, three more hours. Now, you know, 20 minutes and then I'll move on to a new piece. Okay, and then we'll work on this for an hour or whatever. If I know how to how to pace myself, I can, I feel like I can endure anything. It's when I don't know how long a trial is going to go on that I really struggle. And one of the things I think I really, really struggled with was when Dave died and you were going through grief and you were so different as from what you normally, you know, just your normal interactions with me and with our kids and your focus and your ability to be present and and understandably, like that was, you know, really hard thing for you to go through. But I think for a while it scared me because I was like, are you ever going to come back to life? You know, are you yeah. ever going to come back to normal? And that was a really hard one for me. And and I was also just absolutely obsessive when I went through a postpartum depression about how long is this going to last? How soon after I start taking these antidepressants am I going to feel better? When can I be more myself? And my therapist would tell me over and over, Corinne, the more you resist this, the longer it's going to take and the worse it's going to be. So you just need to chill and you just need to let it run its course and just do your best every day. Lower your expectations. You have to respect that you have a very small gas tank. Only do what you can and then let go of the rest. I mean, I'm able to do probably 400 times what I could do <laughs> on a day like today. I mean, I I hustled through 
so many things. I mean, starting with this morning, I got Harry up and then Millie up at like six something in the morning, went downstairs. Millie's asking for oatmeal. We didn't have oatmeal. So from scratch, I made apple oatmeal for my two babies, got the other kids up and had an Amazon call on my AirPods while I'm making homemade apple oatmeal and taking care of four <laughs> kids. And I was like, you know what? I'm, this is, I, I felt like, done. okay, I can really, I am proud of myself right now for how much I can juggle all at one moment because a year and a half ago, I could barely get out of bed or a year ago, you know, it was yeah. like a struggle for me to just get up and walk downstairs and eat breakfast and then come crawl right back in bed. At that time, I just had to take the advice of someone who knew better than me and just, it was a little bit of a one day at a time, but for me, it was more like just surrender. Like, okay, this is not in my hands. It's not my control. I can't fix this right away. I can't make it go away. I can't just pray enough for it to disappear. It's just something I have to go through. And once I really just said, okay, like I'm going to accept help and accept that I'm going through this and stop trying to fight it and just surrender to my, the circumstances and what's happening. Um, I was able to just still move through life at a much slower pace, but not feel like I was going crazy trying to control everything that was out of control and at that point in my life. Yeah. Okay, so I don't know if I'm answering your oh, question. Oh, no, this is an amazing answer. This is why I wanted to ask this because I I think it's a question that I, I think is fine. And even, I mean, I I kind of, you know, you said exactly what, what I thought you would say, but hearing it again, I'm like, wow, you know, yeah, it is really powerful. And these are the things I think a lot of times we don't necessarily get to hear, maybe like in a more formal church setting or something, but sometimes it can feel a little... Um, I don't know, maybe a little fortune cookie-ish to, mm -hmm. to make it, I don't want to make it sound blasphemous or anything, but it's just kind of like, well, just keep trying, just, just pray and have more faith. Like, which those are actually absolutely 100% the right answers. But when you're struggling and you're having a seriously hard time, like those seem oversimplified. Yeah. And so, but when you kind of pull somebody aside one-on-one -on -one and you're just like, no, seriously, like what? You know, you've gone through hard things. Tell me, how did you do it? You know, you get I think some that really, can be really cool powerful. Answers. And it was really helpful to me when I interviewed Jane Clayson Johnson. That was a real, really powerful and helpful interview for me personally, selfishly, that I got to connect with someone who was like, yep, I've been right where you are. And there is another side. You will come out. And, and my therapist kept telling me that. Like you will get back to yourself. You will get better. It's just going to take time, but you will get back to your old self eventually. You know, I was thinking though, as you were talking about another example, and that is when I went through my divorce. And I feel like at first when I came out of that, I was so beat up and so at just a, not physically, <laughs> emotionally at such a low point internally that I really felt like, and I was pretty short-sighted too. It was like all my friends were having their first or second baby while I was going through a year-long process of a divorce. And 
it was so discouraging. And I really felt like, oh, now I'm this like old hag who <laughs> is like has this a bunch of baggage. Four year old. Is, well, but really, I <laughs> I looked at all so of my other friends. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I didn't have other friends who were going through. And then I had to find some friends. I found a few friends who were going through that same type of thing or had just recently gone through a divorce. And they were my lifeline. They were my um, support group where yeah. they really could understand. But I look back at that time and I definitely had an opportunity to bring God into my life more. And I didn't choose that. And I definitely chose for it to be harder because I didn't allow God to help me. And I think he still did. Obviously, he helped me to meet you. And there were other good things that happened in my life. I think about my job with Robert Grow. I worked for this attorney who um, in Salt Lake who hired me. And I don't even know why he hired me. It was like the height of the recession into like October of 2000. No, I'm sorry. My old boss hired me in October of 2008. But then I got laid off from that job and was hired by Robert Grow in the spring of 2009. So very much still on the, the height of the recession. And he was telling me like, we have people who are out of law school and have taken and passed the bar who are applying for this job. And it was, I was a legal assistant and he hired me and he was so good to me. And then a year later, I went to him and said, Hey, I found this other job that is like my dream job. And it was full time. And I had been working for him part time. And I was like, I just, I have to take this. And he was so loving and understanding. And he just looked at me and said, you know what, when we hired you, we knew it would just be a safe place for you to be able to work. And we felt like you were the right person. And he is the kind of man that like totally lives by the spirit. And I just remember feeling so grateful that he went by the spirit and hired me, even though there were people who were way better qualified than me at the time. So yes, God did really help me and gave me a lot of tender mercies, but I did. I wasn't reading my scriptures. I was like showing up to church because I wanted to hang on by a thread, but I really hung on by a thread. And it was hard for me to, to want to go to church because it was so awkward and uncomfortable because I went to my home ward for that year and people with the greatest of intentions, like not thinking about 30 other people had asked me the same thing that day or that week. It was like every person that saw me. So what's the update? Like, how's it going? You know, with, like I said, just all the kindness in their heart, wanting to genuinely care about me. But I was so overwhelmed going to church every week, feeling like people just wanted nothing but updates from me. And I was bombarded by that. And I, um, it wasn't socially fun or where I think a lot of people go to church and they feel like that's a huge bonus, right? Of going to church and getting that social interaction. And, and at the time just feeling like, man, am I going to church? Why am I even going? Because this is kind of an uncomfortable slash miserable experience every week. And I had to really square with, okay, I'm going to church because I believe in God and I believe in Jesus Christ and taking the sacrament each week and that that does matter. Even though my testimony was really pretty low at that point, um, as far as like my spiritual strength and what I had been doing personally. But I did come out of that. I feel like I was in an amazing place spiritually when you and I were married in the temple. 
we really, you know, took our spirituality very seriously and we were attending the temple weekly because of our stake president at the time and, um, and our singles stake. (laughs) And that was an amazing experience, but I look back and I think, wow, I really, I wasted some time there. Make like, it was more of an uphill battle. It's like, we've talked a lot about our girls riding bikes and having gears and you know, if they are riding up a hill, I feel bad for them because they only have the one gear and they're literally pedaling 10 times harder than they would need to if they had some gears on their bikes. And I feel like that's what I did. I just was like, I'm not going to rely on God. I'm just going to try to do this myself. Cause I was like, I don't know. I didn't, I, I knew, but I just, it's weird how Satan can kind of while he like kicks you while you're down. And, and when you're kind of separated you know, even like an inch away, he pushes you another inch and another inch and another inch where it feels like, oh my gosh, it's so overwhelming to try to get back and to try to go back to those habits. And I know you've experienced that too with, you know, being, going from like being a return missionary to being at a point where you, you know, weren't even like really great at going to church at one point. And, um, hopefully that's okay. Yeah. I just said that. Yeah, totally. And, I just think there have been times in my life and even like the beginning of your recovery, the first couple years of our marriage before I started reading the Book of Mormon daily where I really, some of the really, really low points, I just did on my own uphill with no gears. You know, I was not spiritually fueling myself. And in an opposite way, I feel like finally by the time I decided to do the steps I had been reading the Book of Mormon every day for a couple years, and I feel like my spiritual tank was strong enough to help boost me into that next, like, okay, here's what the Spirit's going to tell you to do to finally overcome this challenge of feeling like your life is out of control because you can't control your husband's addiction. That's when I did the steps. But anyway, I my point is I think you're going to have to go through hard times no matter what, and you just have to choose Am I going to do this with God or am I going to do it all by myself? And not that God isn't going to help you or try to send you, you know, little nudges here and there and, and give you, you know, throw you a bone. But I think it's, you really can make it easier or harder on yourself, whatever path you choose. Yeah, I would have to agree. I think there's an easier way to do things. Um, but I, in the midst of a challenge and it's, it's hard to see that. <clears throat> and, and even when you know the right answer, I, I th- think times when I knew and believed in God and knew that he'd be there, believed in Christ, that through Christ, I can do all things like in the midst of that challenge or in a, in a challenge, it's still is hard. It's mm-hmm. hard for, for people who have a full knowledge, belief, or even before, like, you know, had, so to speak, like seen the gold already in their life. Like, Oh, I did this before and God helped me. And I have such a strong testimony and belief in this and this happened. Um, but, but now I'm in this new situation and it's, I'm still struggling to have that same level of faith or belief. I've seen him do it before. I know he's going to do it, but I just, man, it's hard. It's still, even knowing the the right answers or having that conviction, it still can be a challenge. Yeah. I think too, for me, looking back at that time of my life where I felt like it was my rock bottom. I'm getting divorced. I'm no one's going to want me. I mean, I really believed these things in my mind and in my heart. And 
Am I even going to find someone who wants to marry me? Is What is my life going to look like? And even when we were first married, thinking, oh my gosh, like how are we going to get through this addiction? It just came right back into our marriage right after we got married. And how are we ever going to overcome this? And now looking at, not that it's like, oh, now we've arrived and now we're fine. Like we will continue to go through challenges. I know that. But to be able to see spiritually how we've chosen to build our family and build our marriage and and the blessings that Heavenly Father has given us and the connection I feel like we have with God is so incredible. And that's not because we are more special than other people or whatever. I really just believe it's because as we've prioritized things like the Book of Mormon and going to the temple, that God's been like, we've moved ourselves closer to him and then he can help us even more. I guess I look at someone like Robert Downey Jr. And it's like, wow, he really went from just this very visible rock bottom to a very visible triumphant comeback return. And I feel like for some of those really, really low points in my life, it's so cool to now be like, yeah, you know what? I did overcome that and it's okay now. And there probably will be more mountains to climb. Well, not probably, there definitely will be. Um, But I think that as you turn your trust toward God and you partner with him more, you have, it builds your trust and it builds your faith to be like, oh, he is reliable. When I turn to him, he does just link arms with me and say, let's go, let's do this. And so I think it makes it it gives you that faith and confidence to move forward and say, okay, whatever's coming, I'm going to do my best to get spiritually strong, and then we're going to climb the mountains together. And so that's how I look at future, you know, things in the present or whatever comes, knowing it's all going to be okay as long as we stay close to the Spirit, we try to do what God wants us to do, you know, he's going to march right up all the mountains with us and say, let's go, you know? Yeah. No, I love that. And I totally agree. I'm glad I asked you that question because it's, you just have, ah, that's a cool answer. I, I really, I really love what you said. Was that still me answering your question? <laughs> yeah. You were answering it the whole time, which was For awesome. the last 30 minutes. I, which I'm was sorry. really cool. So, but you know, I, I totally agree with you. Do you have any final thoughts? I already gave mine. I don't. I honestly, I think you said basically it's spiritual actions. That was the, that was the main thing that changed for me. Book of Mormon was huge, um, especially, but I I agree if it's not going to be like the, Hey, just, you know, this is going to be the cure all I can. I've had days where I've still made major mistakes and I've been reading the Book of Mormon or, Hey, I'm reading the Book of Mormon and this thing's just not happening for me. And, uh, you know, but I do think for me, that's really where the motivation to continue to, to trudge on and take the right actions mm-hmm. and the inspiration comes in. And suddenly I see things very differently when I'm reading the Book of Mormon or I'm not reading the Book of Mormon. Okay. No, I lied. I do have a final thought. Perfect. Last year when I was going through postpartum depression, I remember being super discouraged that I couldn't read the Book of Mormon the way I used to. It was hard for me to even focus on just a chapter of the Book of Mormon, and I felt shame for that. I felt like, what is wrong with me that I can't even read a chapter? I used to 
blow through two or three a day and just, you know, was a master at reading. I mean, I wasn't a master. I wasn't like a scriptorian, but I, that's one of the things I love the most in life. And I just could not even focus because my depression was so bad. And my therapist at the time was like, okay, you just pick a verse and focus on that for the week. Just one verse. And every day you wake up and you read it and that's your thing. And that will be enough. Like that tiny little breadcrumb, that will be enough. And that's what I did. And that was enough for me to still hang on and have that connection with God. And he worked with me in those baby steps. And I think that the final thing that I want somebody who's going through something hard that maybe feels like they're at a rock bottom or they're barely climbing out of something, that it's okay if you're taking tiny baby steps or you're just taking breadcrumbs, that God will meet you where you're at and you don't have to you know, conquer it all in one day. And to your point at the very beginning, it's probably not all going to just you know, happen in one miraculous action. It's probably going to be lots and lots and lots of slow, small steps before you finally reach the summit. Perfect. Very well said. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.